It's Thursday, May 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jeff Fisher and Brian Henry. Good to see you guys. Thanks for coming in. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. Thanks for coming, making the trip all the way from your desk. <laughs> I say that like it's this massive journey. <laughs> like, well, I like thought you meant like, thanks for coming into the office today, which you could also say. Yeah. Like your Jim Gillies coming over the border. <laughs> uh, more earnings news. Uh, Tesla Motors, Green Mountain, Groupon, uh, and a very uh, interesting story about Microsoft. And this is going to shock some of our listeners. Uh, reportedly, Microsoft is going to make an acquisition. I know I know that's out of character for them, but we'll get to that. Um, for the first time in its 10-year history, Tesla Motors has reported a quarterly profit. Uh, Jeff, a mil- uh, $11 million in profit in the first quarter, revenue up 83% from the previous quarter. Uh, not surprisingly, shares up big this morning. So the company is starting to mature a little bit as a company, but it's still only a boutique car business. They sold 4,500 cars in the quarter. They expect to sell about 21,000 this year. For comparison's sake, Ford alone sells more than 2 million a year. So it's a, it's a tiny little company. That said, obviously good news, even though on an operating basis they still had, they still ran at a small loss, but on a net basis they had a small profit and they had some, a little bit of free cash flow. So that, that's great. But looking forward, it's going to be a company that has to almost surely raise more capital. And now might be a good time with the shares up so much. Yeah. Sell some shares, raise some capital. So over the years, if you're if you're looking ahead three years or longer, you're very likely going to see continue to see a lot of share dilution, a lot of continued investment in R and D, and of course a lot of investment in the new models that they have to roll out. So it's going to be a, a yo-yo. Yeah, if you're an investor in Tesla, you better not be paying all that much attention to one quarter's performance. This is a decades long story that you have to get behind here and you know i really think that the the share price action has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of people are betting against tesla yeah um and so you know a little bit better than expected results can often have these sort of cause these wild swings in share prices i was just going to say based on what you were saying jeff it, it, it seems like People shouldn't necessarily get used to the fact that they're profitable. It's like, hey, first time in ten years we're profitable. And it's like, uh, that don't think that's automatically going to be the case every quarter from here in R- perpetuity. R- right, Chris. Even though they are targeting twenty five percent gross margins by the end of this year, the last quarter of this year, which compares to Ford at fifteen percent gross margin, so they may be a much more profitable car company than the average, at least in the long run. It's very likely they're going to have quarters that are like this one in in negative territory on when it comes to operating income. Very likely. They have so much more reinvestment to do, and, and they're still just ramping up. If they want to grow into this market value, they're going to need to sell more than 20,000 cars a year, a lot more. I feel like the low-hanging fruit for Tesla, and I say this in all seriousness, I feel like the low-hanging fruit for them uh, is the celebrity crowd. Because about a decade ago, you had incredibly well-paid actors and actresses, Julia Roberts, uh, uh, Leo DiCaprio, rolling around in Priuses, in like a Toyota Prius. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that is a, a, an opportunity for a serious upgrade. Yeah, because, if they haven't upgraded yet, well, but if they're you're, due. You know, they're making the statement, hey, we want to be environmentally friendly and that sort of thing. And here's this electric car, high-end, six figures. Yeah. and uh, It's and, what Gatsby would drive if he were driving. <laughs> you know. 
If they if they remake Back to the Future, I really hope they use a Tesla instead, instead of, of a, a DeLorean. Instead of a DeLorean. Yeah. But yeah, to, yeah, I'm sure they will, Chris. Some celebrities I can't recall whom bought uh, the Roadster too when they first came out. The uh, the little sports Tesla sports car. There you go. So yeah, I'm sure I'm sure some own the S model now. Um, in terms of the stock, let's say an investor does have the stomach for the wild swings and he's looking three, five years out, that sort of thing. What is the valuation of the stock? I mean, it's at an all-time high today. Is it is it still kind of pricey? Or if if you feel like you have the stomach for it, should you wait for the pullback that is almost certainly going to come in the next few months? So the, the valuation is around 7 to $8 billion market cap on about a $2 billion sales run rate. So say three to four times sales, whereas Ford trades at one time sales. Now that said, that's apples and oranges. It's a small, yeah. rapidly growing company. So it isn't outrageous, this valuation, and, and everyone's rooting for Elon Musk and Tesla to succeed and do well. But there are many, many. Not everyone, as you said. <laughs> not everyone. As you not said everyone. Before, there are people betting. Not everyone's rooting for this go. company. <laughs> everyone who cares about the future is, and that's that's one point that we should make. They're really trying to redefine how cars are sold. The whole they don't they don't have dealers filled with cars sitting on the lot. They right. have an Apple-like store where you walk in, you see a model, you drive it. If you want one, you order it online. Uh, they're redefining service where they'll they'll come to your house and give you a, a free. Loaner car and take your car away to be serviced. Uh, they're redef- they're trying to redefine financing. They're trying to earn higher margins. They're doing all these things. It's a it's a true rule breaker. There there has not been a, a new successful car manufacturer in the U.S. since the 1920s. So the only way that Tesla will be that is to redefine the whole industry. And and thankfully they are they view it that way. That's how they're trying to do Chris, it. Chris, I'm a little more skeptical on that uh, for, for two reasons, really. N- number one is uh, I feel like people like to uh, put their money behind Elon Musk, but with Tesla, they're not getting all of Elon Musk, right? They're getting whatever proportion of his time he wants to dedicate to Tesla. He's clearly spending a lot of time on SpaceX, mm-hmm. and uh, he's come here and, to speak at The Fool, so we know him a little bit. I'm sure he has his fingers in you know five or ten other projects, uh, and they're probably not small projects. They're probably like, one day I will take over the world size projects. So um, I'm sure there are, there are brilliant people in place at Tesla, but... I don't buy the I want to invest alongside Elon Musk because I don't think you get enough of him to ensure that that's a that's a wise bet to make. And the other reason I'm skeptical is because anytime uh, in an investment thesis where you're saying uh, and a lot, uh, your likelihood of success really goes down. I mean, this is a this is a from probability and statistics. If you need this to happen and this to happen and this to happen and this to happen and this to happen. And this to happen all of those things, that multiplicative property, reduce your chance of success. Whereas uh, if you're using or probabilities, right, this can happen or this can happen or this can happen or this can happen. You have a much greater likelihood of success. I I may, I don't know the story that well, but it seems to me that the Tesla story has a bunch of ands. You know, they need to build out the infrastructure. They need to prove that they can continue to, you know, make these cars that are going to resonate. They need to, you know, go right on down the line. It's just a lot of ands that, that to me... Uh, make for a low likelihood of success. I agree with Brian's concerns and his skepticism, and and the price bakes in a lot of good things happening yeah. already. And 
it comes back to the where this discussion started. There's bound to be a lot of share dilution. There has to be a lot more investment in the business. It's it's all it. They have many challenges ahead of them. But well, there's no but. They have many challenges ahead of them. Period. There's, there's, Full stop. Period. Yep. But but if anybody can pull it off, they probably they're they're in the. They're in the lead. Yeah, obviously. and honestly, if anyone can pull it off, it's probably one third of Elon Musk. You know, like that <laughs> might be enough. You know, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters second quarter earnings rose forty two percent. Strong sales of the Keurig coffee packs. They also had uh, lower costs, helping their margins. Uh, seemed like a pretty good quarter, but and and you hinted at this before. This is uh, going to be a running theme on today's market foolery. Uh, the short interest is uh, is part of what is driving shares of Green Mountain Coffee Roasters higher today. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing that might be overlooked in the announcement um, was that sales of uh, the Keurig Brewers were down a little bit. And, uh, you know, we all are fairly familiar with Green Mountain's business model and that what they want to do is get as many brewers in the hands of, you know, consumers as possible so yes. that they have the annuity stream of, of the K-Cups. Um so it's 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 disheartening to see that happening. But again, short interest in Green Mountain is over twenty percent. A lot of people betting against that company, they make a little bit more money than expected, or you know, intimate that things are going to be better in the future. Uh, there's going to be some people bailing, and that's going to cause a, the stock price to jump. What's really interesting here, uh, I thought was was the uh, the agreement with Starbucks. Um, they made uh, they extended their agreement with Starbucks to produce uh, Starbucks branded K-Cups. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really struck me as uh, a really good deal for Starbucks and a much less greater deal for Green Mountain. Now, Green Mountain, I think, needed to make this happen, but it reminded me of uh, last weekend's fight, uh, Floyd, Maywe- Floyd Mayweather Jr. with Robert Guerrero, right? Uh, nobody knows who Robert Guerrero is. Floyd Mayweather was paid upwards of like $32 million to be there. And uh, the other guy was paid like $3 million. Uh, because he was, you know, he's the person everybody wants to see. He was just in a much larger, a much better position to negotiate the terms of the contract. And that's where Starbucks was. Starbucks was Floyd Mayweather Jr. And they could demand, uh, you know, greater financial terms from Green Mountain. And I, I suspect that's exactly what happened. Now, I need to say no financial terms were disclosed, but Starbucks owns almost 20% of the K-Cup market, um, and they've only sold Starbucks and Tazo brands. With this new agreement, they're going to be able to sell Seattle's Best, Tivana, uh, Starbucks Cocoa, and any other brands that they come up with. They're also expanding into uh, the Keurig View, uh, so a new brewer platform. Um, Wait, what is the what is the Keurig View? Yeah, it's so so. There was big to do about the K Cup patents coming oh, right. off, yeah. coming off, right? So the Green Mountain came up with this new bu- uh, brewer system called the Keurig View. It's like the Keurig 2.0. Okay. Uh, and the pods that go into that are different, so they have a different set of patents. They have a different set of patents, right? Um, but still. Most of the Keurig systems that are in existence are the ones that just went off off patent. So anyway, uh, this was a a much stronger deal, I think, for Starbucks and for Green Mountain. Uh, when you look at a stock chart of Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, I mean, it really is one of those roller coaster star- stocks. As we talked about, it's uh, it is heavily shorted, um, and yet shares up this morning. 23% at one point. I mean, it's a new 52-week high. Um, 
are they um, in a stronger position in terms of their business than they were, say, a year and a half ago when David Einhorn came out with his 110-page PowerPoint presentation where he raised very significant and very serious questions about their accounting? Um, ha- is, is at least that part of the story behind them, or are those questions still out there? They're still out there a little bit. Um, the reason that they are uh, at least a little bit in better position is because they have a new CEO now, and that new CEO uh, came into this position knowing that all of that skepticism skepticism existed, and so uh, he is bonkers if he didn't, uh, you know, go clean house right. where he needed to be. So they are in a better position in that, uh, you know, they're sort of a clean slate uh, for Brian Kelly to to start with. Here and I think you know inking this deal with Starbucks uh, was sort of a way for him to show that hey we are in this business for the long run and you know we're going to do everything in our power to take the right steps going forward. I'm surprised by the leap today a little bit, especially in that it, it, it's likely many short sellers covering because the the deal. It is not surprising to me. Both companies had a lot to gain by re-signing a deal. Yep. And they both had enough to lose by not doing such a deal. As Brian said, Starbucks accounts for about 20% of the K-Cup market. So that's that's significant revenue, relatively speaking, even for Starbucks, let alone for Green Mountain. And Starbucks shouldn't really care what type of machine you use to, to brew its coffee. It, it's it's In the end, it's just selling coffee, however you want to brew it. So... Uh, it seemed like uh, a deal was a, a near certainty and that the stock is up 25, 24% on the news is, uh, I don't know. Yeah, the other, the other interesting uh, thing that plays into the, the boxing analogy here is, um, so the, the major benefit that uh, I see Green Mountain coming away from this deal with is that uh, Starbucks has agreed in whatever capacity to help uh, encourage adoption of the Keurig Brewer internationally. Um, right now, Keurig is basically, or Green Mountain and Keurig is basically a U.S. phenomenon. Um, they want to start selling their brewers everywhere in the world uh, for good reason. And Starbucks already sells coffee everywhere in the world and has a brand that is trusted and resonates in many, you know, many foreign markets. So Starbucks is going to help them do that. Now, the rest of the coffee world is essentially owned, single-serve single, single coffee world is owned by Nespresso, owned by Nestle. Um, and so Starbucks is sort of, you know, in my mind, putting Green Mountain as a possible martyr to enter that battle <laughs> in the single-serve brewer because Nespresso and Nestle are very, very good competitors. Um who knows how that's all going to turn out, but the downside now seems to rest with Green Mountain as opposed to Starbucks having to put its brewers out there to go one-on-one with Nestle. Uh, I want to pull Groupon into this conversation because Groupon also reported um, first quarter results. They weren't profitable, but the loss was narrower than uh, I think people were expecting. Their revenue was higher than expected. Shares up about 10% this morning. Um, but back to this whole notion of short interest. Uh, and by the way, it's, it's uh, as we were talking about before, Jeff, uh, before we started taping, uh, there are definitely some hedge funds out there that are feeling a tremendous amount of pain. Because if your strategy as a hedge fund 
involves a significant amount of shorting, guess what? These, these are at or near the top of your list in terms of stocks that you want to short. Groupon, Green Mountain, Tesla, uh, even Tesla. All among the most heavily shorted yeah. stocks. Barnes and Noble, which we'll get to shortly. Um, so they're feeling a lot of pain. But um, in terms of the short interest, Brian, if you could break down again sort of uh, how that works, because when when I hear something like, oh, well, the short interest is 20%, my default is, oh, well, that's 20% of all all shares. But um, that's the way it's reported, but that's not the way it actually is. Yeah, not necessarily. So uh, when you look at how much stock a company has issued, you need to make a distinction between um, free float which is the stock that is held in accounts that is available to you know be borrowed and trade, right. uh, and then shares issued. Now it's very common for short interest to be a simple ratio of how many shares are shorted versus how many shares the company has issued. But if uh, insiders hold shares you know in great quantities uh, and they are not held in accounts that are allowed to allowed for that borrow, then what ends up happening is uh, the the proportion of shares shorted as a percentage of the free float is enormous. And so there's actually, it's misrepresented uh, when you read the short interest. So even though a company like, um, what were we just talking about? Uh, Green Mountain uh, has, uh, you know, a 20% short interest. But in terms right? of available shares. In terms of available shares, it's probably actually higher because insiders still own, you know, a decent, a decent proportion of that. So it's, you know, of the, of the, of the actual flow, it's probably way higher than 20%. And that's why you get this enormous, you know, these enormous price swings. Um, I think Groupon, when, uh, when I checked it right before we walked in the studio, I think it was trading for somewhere in the range of $6, mm-hmm. uh, a share. Uh, you guys were, were thinking about shorting it back when it was in the teens. Is, is this one of those things where, you look at it now and uh, you think, wow, maybe there's value there. Maybe maybe it's a value. I would lean more towards going long at this price than shorting. Really? In pro, we looked at shorting it in the high teens, had the report written by the low teens, couldn't get shares anyway, so we, we couldn't short it. And the, and the put options. That's how many people wanted, yeah, exactly. to share, wanted to short Groupon <laughs> that you couldn't get shares. And the options, the put options were so expensive, you it, it wasn't worth buying them. Um, although it did fall to two, and at one point or yeah. so, that that would have been worth buying them. But I wouldn't write Groupon off yet by any means. They have a new CEO, of course, new focus. He admitted first thing in this conference call that they've made a lot of mistakes in the past. They weren't always clear. They didn't have a clear business plan or, or direction. <clears throat> Excuse me. And now they're going to really hone in on that and focus on that. And what's encouraging is less than forty-five percent of their North American transactions now are, are coming through email. The majority are coming through their website and through what they call poll business, where if, if you go to Groupon.com right now and, and sign in, you'll probably be pleasantly surprised. You'll be hard-pressed not to find something on there that appeals to you in your local area. Yeah, what we know, their business has totally changed, and it's much more attractive now than it was at IPO. What we know is they have a ton of active users, say 42 million active users. About half of those are yeah, in the, in the North America. And when they went public, they had about a thousand deals, uh, going. Now at any given time, they have 40,000 deals. So instead of having deals, you know, one deal that they push to every local market, yep. they have 
a ton of deals that you basically go shopping for. Um, and because they have the eyeballs and because they've done such a great job with mobile, they have people who are interacting with their site regularly saying, hey, I want to go eat. Where can I get a deal to go eat? So you you pull up your Groupon app and you have, you know, eight or ten local eateries to choose from. And so what that what that has done is it has made the experience from the merchant standpoint a little better. So instead of firing out an email right. and having 8,000 people crash upon your, you know, your small <laughs> restaurant at once, right? It has spread that out a little bit. So it's made the, the experience from the merchant's standpoint much, much better. So is this like a network effect? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of way back in the, in the 90s when eBay was on the rise and you saw other sites like Amazon and Yahoo, among others, who were coming to the table with their own auction website. But the network effect kicked in for eBay where it was the situation where if you're a seller, you want to sell in the biggest market possible. And if you're a buyer, you want to go to the biggest marketplace. That's that's kind of what Groupon is sound, sounding like. Certainly. <clears throat> I think that's certainly true, Chris. And and now they're, they are the largest marketplace for deals like this. And as Brian said, they're no longer daily deals. You can go in any time and just shop uh, for what you want. And the variety and selection you have in, in markets, at least in, in D.C., and I'm sure most all major metropolitan markets, is enormous. So it's a great marketplace. When I go on there, I there's almost always something that looks appealing to me. Yeah, Chris, those network effects are what the company needs to take take hold really soon. Because as it stands now, their business just doesn't scale very well from the expense side, which is why they haven't been able to make any money. They keep having to hire people to call merchants, basically, and be feet on the street sales. If they become known as the place people go for local commerce, those calls will be inbound calls. Merchants will be calling them, and yeah. then they'll, they'll, they won't have to hire as many people to go bang on doors. And that's when the business, from a profitability standpoint, is really going to take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have about 2.4 billion in annual revenue but it was pretty flat this quarter. They have pretty strong gross margins although we can argue how they how they measure those. Yes. <laughs> so if they can just stabilize their revenue around here and then um, work on their operating margins it could be a, a an investment worth considering. And I can't believe I'm saying that. I know. All right, well we'll keep our eyes on that. Uh we'll wrap up Microsoft is offering to pay 1 billion to Barnes & Noble to buy Nook Media. Uh, this is according to a report uh, on TechCrunch. Microsoft would get the Nook tablets, e-readers, the e-books, and the college book division, which is uh, housed in Nook Media. Uh, no official comment from either Barnes & Noble or Microsoft, but shares of Barnes & Noble up 20% this morning. Uh, you know, again... Another day, another 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 hit to hedge another, funds around the world. Uh, yeah, well, exa- I was going to say another day, another billion dollar acquisition by Microsoft. Um, but what do you make of this? Uh, is this a smart move for them? It's certainly a good day for shareholders of Barnes and Noble. Even at a at a billion dollars, I think it's a small bet for Microsoft, and it's <clears throat> the best thing that they have available to them in this space. They've seeded the market so far to Amazon and. I guess Apple, right? And uh, this is one way to 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 amp it up. When they when they they paid three hundred some million for seventeen percent of Nook a, f- a few years ago already. Now, no, I think it was just last year. Last year, so time, time flies. Time does fly. <laughs> so to buy the rest of it, reportedly for a billion or so, they're they're admitting they paid a little bit richly the first time, but still, 
it's not that much for them, and it, it gives them a foot in the door, and then I wouldn't be surprised to see them work the technology into their operating system over but time. Here's what I don't get about the shares of Barnes & Noble shooting up. Yes, they're going to get a check with a lot of zeros on it if this actually plays out this way. But if it plays out this way, then they're just stuck with their original core business of the bookstores. And is anyone betting on that business to succeed? Well, it's still profitable on an annual basis where the Nook has never been, never made money for Barnes & Noble. So, And they want to get out of the electronic device industry. It's, it's That's, as you know, a cutthroat margin business. So I think it's they're they're falling back onto their core strength, which is we can be the last man standing in retail bookstores. They're going to to close, unfortunately, about thirty percent of them in the coming years, and, and focus on their most profitable seventy percent. And hopefully, I'm hoping they can they can make money that way. I want a store that I can go to. I like browsing around those stores as well, but I, I just at no point do I look at Barnes and Noble and think that is a business I really want to invest in. Yeah. I mean, I know fewer and fewer people who are, are buying uh, physical books. Even people who were hardcore book lovers are going to digital. The convenience is too great and the price and everything else. So it's tough. All right. And hey, let's let's not kid ourselves. Microsoft has made far worse bets than this. <laughs> yeah, at a billion. They've, eh, they've made bigger bets and they've made worse <laughs> bets. All right. Jeff Fisher, Brian Henry, guys, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.